do we describe that feeling, being in the presence of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? You must forgive me this morning, but every time I focus on the gospel, I get very emotional. Because that's what it's all about. Come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Come and do what you need to do, Lord. Come Holy Spirit. Come. I think the most important thing that we need to understand is that, like I said last week, Jesus Christ, the master plan of God the Father, brought him to this earth to go through certain things and to show us certain things that we can understand what God wants us to do. And the main focus was, God wants us to return to His original plan. And God's original plan is to be in His presence at all times. To be free from sin and to be able to just come and stand before Him. And where I've sinned yesterday, I can come and say, Lord, just wash me clean. And I know He takes that away from me. And that process that we call salvation means that you've made a decision that you believe in Jesus Christ. That He is the Son of God. That He, that, that, that he was sent to this earth in human form. That He died on the cross for my sins. That He was raised from the dead. And that He's sitting at the right hand of the Father. And that He sent us the Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us. And we all called to preach the good news of Jesus. Evangelism is preaching the good news of Jesus Christ. That's the bottom line. And we all are called to do that. But then you say, I can't even remember scripture. Uh, I'm, 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 I'm only saved a couple of weeks or days. The only thing the Lord is asking us, if I've touched you, that's Jesus, if I've touched you and I'm part of your life, you cannot else but tell about what he's done in your life. Isn't that amazing? That's all we've been asked to do. Today I want to focus on the gospel. What is the gospel? What is this good news of Jesus that we're talking about? Now, as you see, we're going we're gonna to take communion after the service. We're going to break bread together. And how many times have you broken bread and used the cup? But you don't really realize what he's gone through for us. So today, 
I want to give you a glimpse of what did Jesus come to do on this earth. When he said, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I am life. I'm eternal life. Whoever believes in me will never die, but have eternal life. We will live forever. But he had to do something on this earth so that we can step into it. And there's many things that Jesus did on this earth and many things he taught us. But the main thing is, he said to his disciples, Matthew 28, 19, go and make disciples of all nations. Baptize them and teach them. So I've got the privilege of having your attention this morning. So I want to ask you, you want to hear the gospel? You want to hear what the gospel is all about? Because if you walk out there in the world and you talk to people and say, I want to tell you about Jesus. They give you a five-fold ministry or they just ignore you and walk away. But at the end of the day, it's the Holy Spirit that opens the opportunity for us to be able to preach the gospel. So that we understand what Jesus came to do on this earth for us. I, I want to start this, this story about Jesus knowing his time has come. He knew that he had to die on the cross. And because he was fully human, he was scared. And we see that when they had their last supper with the disciples. Jesus said to them, here is my body. Eat. And here's my blood. Drink. They had no clue what he was talking about. From that table, they went in to the garden, garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus knew this is where everything is going to start. This is the thing my father sent me to come and do. And he was so scared while he was praying to his father. Saying, Father, let this cup go past me. Please. And then in the next sentence he said, but let your will be done. And he was sweating. I said like blots, drops of blood. That's the highest level of fear that you can go into. Is when the little veins in your, in your sweat glands start to pop. And blood start running through your, 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 your pores. It showed us that he was fully human. And then you know he was arrested. Do you think when he was arrested, he was arrested gently? No. They came in and they took hold of him. And they beat him. With their first, we read it in the word. Do you know that the process 
from Jesus was arrested up to the moment, moment that he was crucified. It was 20 hours. Only 20 hours. From he was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane till he was nailed on the cross. It was only 20 hours process that changed our lives forever. So they arrested him and he's scared. And then they went and they beat him up and they humiliated him. And they flogged him. Do you know what it looked like when they flogged him? They call it a flagellum. It's a piece of wood with a lot of strings, leather strings, and woven into these strings is pieces of bone and pieces of metal. And every time he was hit and they pull it back, it pulled pieces of his body out. And said it was so bad that you couldn't recognize him. And that his insides was open. 39 lashes were supposed to be given to, to the Jews. Do you think the Romans would honor that 39 lashes? Because they said 40 might kill a person. But don't kill the person. They must, they must die on the cross. Not by being whipped. So at least 39 lashes. And as Jesus' body was torn to pieces, his blood pressure started to fall. And fluid started to form around his heart and his lungs. And he was humiliated. And he was kicked. And his beard was plucked out. Just imagine this. How, how would you handle it? And while that happened, he didn't fight it. Because he saw my face and your face. He said, I'm doing it for you. I will go through this whole process just, just for you. To prove how much I love you. When they were done, we were supposed to go up to Golgotha where he was crucified. Now according to sources, they say that the, the place where Jesus was judged to Golgotha was only 900 meters. But they decided they're not going to go straight there. They want to make a spectacle of Jesus. So he had to walk that road. And you know they call that road Via Doloroso. 2.5 kilometers. With a broken body. That's open. With no blood, blood pressure. He had to carry his cross. You know, the estimate weight of that cross 
the total cross. We don't know if he carried the whole cross or just the top part. But the whole cross, the weight was estimated at the solid wood at 135 kilograms. And if he just carried the top part, that was, that was 40 kilograms. That with that body, he had to carry for 2.5 kilometers to where they were going to kill him. Of course, you know, Simon of Serene helped Jesus to carry that cross. But then we, we got, after he made it for two and a half kilometers, he fainted because of the blood and the fluids that he's lost and the pain he's going through. They put that open back on that wooden cross. And they nailed him to the cross. Not like we normally see nails going through the palm of the hand. No, the nails went through this part of the wrist. Because this is where the most sinews are. Or nerve endings is. It's the most painful area. So he was hit through there. And opened up like this. And then his legs were pulled up. And his one foot put over the other one and a nail going through both of them. And then they picked up that cross and they dropped that cross in that hole. And as that happened, it put so much pressure on those wounds. And you know what is the purpose of a, of a, of a crucifixion death? It's a death by suffocation, is you can't breathe. Because while you're hanging there, if you, you, your diaphragm is pushing on your lungs, so you can't inhale. So what you need to do is push your legs up and inhale, and then that pushing up and pulling up, putting pressure. Do you imagine the pain? But he didn't give up. Because he saw my face and your face when that happened. And then we know that because the next day was an important day, the Jews didn't want the bodies to be on the cross. So what did they do? They decided, let's break their bones, their legs. Take a piece of wood and they break their legs so that they can't push themselves up to breathe. But they found... Jesus was already dead. So not one of his bones were broken. It was prophesied in the Old Testament. Not one of his bones were broken. He gave up his spirit. He gave it up himself. We see in John 19... Jesus said, it is finished. I've come to do what my father has called me to do. To come and die on this cross for your sins. stay. It is done. It is finished. Listen to the scripture, John 10, verse 17. 18. 
For this reason, the Father loved me. Because I laid down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. He didn't die the death that he was supposed to die, according to the Romans and to the Jews. He gave up his spirit. But what's interesting is, what happened when Jesus gave up his spirit and he blew out that last breath? God's creation responded. God's creation responded. The moment Jesus was nailed to the cross, we read in the Bible, it went dark. The skies went dark. And the guys with a lot of pens and thick glasses say, no, 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 that, that's, that's, that's part of, of, of uh, what do you call it? Sonsverteistering. Eclipse. The problem is, it darkened from noon till three o'clock that afternoon. Why do you think it became dark? Because creation was prophesying and saying that the S-U-N will not shine. Because from now on, the light will come from the S-O-N, the Son of Jesus Christ. The Son of God. So it darkened. How many times have you read that and thought, wow, interesting. Somebody put the lights off. No. Creation responded when Jesus blew out his last breath. What's the second thing that happened that we read in the Bible? The veil in the temple that separated the Holy of Holies. That curtain. When I say curtain or veil, what, 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 do you, what do you see? You see that little chordainki hanging in front of, the, of, of your window? A thin little thing. No, that curtain was this thick, that veil. And it tore, not from the bottom to the top, because that, that could have been by human intervention. It tore from the top to the bottom. Because creation responded to what Jesus did on the cross. And as that veil opened up, prophetically, it says, Now you have freedom to come into my presence at all times. Isn't that cool? It's amazing. And we read that so many times and we think, Ah, oh, the curtain tore. It was a powerful thing that happened. The earth shook. Just imagine that. An earthquake. Because the creation was prophesying and telling us that from now on, everything that's man-made will be shaken and will be opened up so that the focus will be on the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And there's another thing that happened. 
the rocks split in two. Why would the rocks split in two? Have you imagined? Why would the rocks split in two? And the creation of God was saying, hearts of stone will be broken open and become soft to receive the message of Jesus Christ and be saved from your sins and the consequences of your sins. That's why how creation dealt with it. And do you know that on Golgotha, where Jesus was crucified, we could, you could see the graves. Who of you have seen been in Jerusalem? You've seen those, those grave sites. Just imagine, here they're standing, looking at this man, Jesus Christ, that just died on the cross, and it's dark, and it's trembling, and the rocks are split in two. And when they turned around and look at the, the, the graveyard, many, many believers that had died got raised from the dead. Just imagine standing here, looking at what's happening in front of you and hearing screams at the back, turning around and see the graves opening up. And here's some of those people just getting out of the grave and said, wow, amazing. I made it. That's what happened there. So, Creation responded when Jesus blew out his last breath. How do we respond when we come into the presence of God? We struggle to get our breath. Instead of coming before him and respond like creation responded. Now's the question. All this stuff is happening there. There's chaos. And there's, there's, there's a centurion standing there and looking at this lot and said, truly, he was the son of God. The question is, where did Jesus go when he died? Where did his spirit go? At that moment. Have you thought of that? Think about it. Because his spirit, his spiritual entity left his body. It's only the body hanging there. Where did he go? For three days he went somewhere. Before he was raised from the dead. It can be confusing. One of the things that we think we could have been as is when he spoke to one of the thieves next to him, and the thief said, remember me when you're going to your kingdom. And he said, today you will be with me in paradise. Where's paradise? Where's paradise? At that point of time, it didn't, it wasn't in heaven. Can you see how confusing this gets? I'm, I'm, I'm really trying to stir you because I want you to think. But what we well know 
is when we read in Scripture where it says in Ephesians 4.9, in saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth. And we read in 1 Peter 3.19, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison. So where did Jesus go? And this is my opinion, and I'll base it on Scripture. At that point of time, paradise, heaven, or paradise wasn't up there. It was in the lower regions of the earth. It was part of Hades. Or in the Old Testament, we talk about Shehul, hell. So hell had two parts. The one part was where all the unsaved go and the non-believers, where they are being tormented. They go there. But the ones that believed went to Abram's bosom. You've heard that? Uh-huh. That's where they went. And what was interesting is you could see from the side where they were tormented, they could see Abram's bosom side. How do I know that? It is in Scripture. You remember with, uh, with, 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 with um, Lazarus, Luke 16. And the rich man, when the rich man died, where did he go? He went to the place where he was tormented. Where did Lazarus go? He went to Abram's bosom. And just imagine, Jesus said, I've come to set you free. And the first thing he did, when he blew out his last breath, is he went into Abram's bosom. And he said, come. This is no place for you anymore. And he took out all the believers. Where did they go? I don't know. Some of the people that lived then didn't even know what Moses looked like. So Moses was walking the earth in and nobody recognized him maybe. But Jesus was on the earth. But for three days, he was dead. But he went down into Hades and he went and he took the prisoners and he set them free. And on the third day, the Father raised him from the dead. And when Mary and them went to the, to the, to the, to the grave, they saw that those big stone was rolled away. And they looked inside and he's gone. And there was a man standing outside. And Mary had a conversation. You remember last week? Mary had a conversation with this person. She thought he was a gardener. She didn't recognize him. But when did she recognize him? When Jesus called her by her name. When he said, Mary. 
she knew. This is it. This is, this is Jesus. He was raised from the dead. Okay, and then we know the story. It was all over the place. <clears throat> Many have seen him. His disciples have seen him. The guys that on, on the road to Emmaus, they've seen him. He revealed himself to them. And then he gone and he, and he gave them very specific instructions. Listen to this. John 16, 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Go therefore and make disciples. There comes that one again, which he said, go and make disciples. Then he says this in Acts 1.5. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And then in Acts 1.8. And you will receive power when the Holy Spirit come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in all parts of the earth. And then Jesus walked on earth for a couple of days. Then he was taken up. What happened when he was taken up? He gave gifts to men. Did you read that part? I touched on it last time. The gift that Jesus gave was a fivefold ministry. And there he talks about evangelists. What's the first one? Apostle. Prophet. Evangelist. Pastors and teachers. So what is the function of those gifts? It's to equip the body. So what is the function of an evangelist? You've seen what happened when, when, when Jonathan Conrad, wherever he preached, the power of God came upon the people. The one meeting in Stellenbosch, they estimated almost 200 people responded to the gospel. Something like, I, I don't have my facts right. By watching these guys, how they do it is how we learn how to tell about the good news of Jesus. And people respond to it. I cannot save you. I can preach until I'm blue. All I can do is I can tell you about the good news of Jesus and the Holy Spirit will do the rest. He convicts us of our sins. Michelle, can you maybe just help me out, please? I want you to close your eyes and listen to the scriptures. We're not going to put the scripture up. I'm just going to read these scriptures. Listen to these scriptures. John 14 verse 6. Jesus said to them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
No one comes to the Father except through me. Romans 10, 9 and 10. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Verse 10. For with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. John 3, 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. John 6, 47. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. Verse 48. I am the bread of life. John 10, 29. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. And I am and the Father is one. John eleven twenty five. I'm the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he dies, yet shall live. And everyone who believes and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe that? Proverbs 8.35 For whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. So the Father sent Jesus Christ to this earth to come and die for our sins and to set us free from those sins. And the only thing he asks of us is, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Do you believe that Jesus came and died on the cross for our sins? Do you believe that he was raised from the dead? Do you believe that he's sitting at the right hand side of the Father? Do you believe that he has sent us the Holy Spirit to guide us and show us the way? Do you believe that in your heart? If you do, say it with your mouth. I believe. Say it out loud. I believe. I believe, Jesus, you've, you are the Son of God. You died on the cross for our sins. You died and was risen from the dead. And now you're sitting at the right hand side of the Father. And you've given us the Holy Spirit to lead us, to convict us of our sins, to show us the way.
you have done that for the first time in your life, I want you just to put up your hand quickly. If you've done that for the first time that you declared it with your mouth, then just put up your hand. Because we need to pray with you. So I take it that all of you believe and that you confessed it with your mouth. I'm going to make a very radical statement again. If you believe but you haven't confessed it with your mouth, you're not saved. It's harsh to say that, but that's the reality because that's what the Word tells us. We need to confess it with our mouth. So when somebody gives you the opportunity to tell them about Jesus, you take all this information that I've just revealed to you a small little part of and tell them about what He has done. And then the next thing we do is we confess with our mouth how that Jesus changed our life. I remember as a nine-year-old boy I heard him call me by my name. We were unsaved as a family. I responded. And he changed my life. Two weeks later, my mom organized that I go and testify while they were building the, the Hendrik Vervoer Dam or the Gharib Dam. At that time, there was a lot of workers there, thousands of them. And then they had a church meeting. And she, for one thing, organized that I must go and testify there. Typical my mother, how she was. She didn't even understand what happened to me. But she just knew one thing. He's got to tell. And I remember, as a nine-year-old boy, standing in front of those people, sweating, but I was so excited to tell them what Jesus did in my life. That while I was talking, there was a man standing at the back in the door and he was leaning like this in the door. I, I can still see that picture. And while I was talking, he started walking towards me. And I thought, I'm in trouble. I was looking, where's my dad? And the guy came and stand in front of me and he looked at the doorman, he said, I want what he's got. As nine year old, did I know the Bible? No. But I had a relationship with Jesus Christ. Because I serve him and I love him. He poured out his love for me. Me and Angelique had a at a, a, a campsite up in Brits, between Brits and Tabazimbi, where we did adventure courses. We had 930 ch uh, schools that we ministered to. And the only thing we did is we were telling them about Jesus and what He did in our lives. We didn't have enough money. 
So we had to dish up. And there was only enough food for one portion per child. And Angelique worked it out. You know, there was at times 165 kids on the terrain. I did the programs. She made the food. And we had an old Swana Wimpy. He's 72 years old. He did the dishes. It's just the three of us. But we believe that God called us to do that. To take people out of their circumstances in the bush and tell them about Jesus. Which we did. So she would dish out 165 portions. The kids would come a second time. A third time. A fourth time. And the dishes didn't go empty. Who's praying for signs and wonders? Who expect God for signs and wonders? Why? For the unsaved. Not for us. I don't need a sign and wonder. I believe. But those kids didn't believe. They saw the food. Didn't get finished. I want what you've got. Janice Honeyman, who have heard of her? Doing plays. She brought 250 kids from the street of Johannesburg to a camp so that they could prepare a play. And every Sunday, they asked me, would I bring the word? I said, with pleasure. So for four weeks, they were there. Every Sunday, I would tell them about Jesus. And nothing happened. They just looked at me. The last day, I didn't receive a word. I didn't know, what am I going to preach? Here they are. And I'm stopped walking to the hall. I said, Lord, what must I talk to them about? I've, I've told them about you. What else is there? And he didn't answer me. And as I stood in front of those 250 kids sitting on the floor, the Lord says, I want you to wash their feet. And as we did that, most of them got saved. A lot of them got filled with the Holy Spirit. And a year later, we were watching a TV program. And here they're interviewing some youngsters. And the one youngster stood there, nice, tall, black, young man. And he said, I went to a farm last year. And it took a white man to wash my feet so I could receive Jesus Christ as my King and Savior. And I'm saved. And I want to give Him glory. And I want to give him honor. Why do we serve him? Why do we serve him? It's for the unsaved out there. When we talk about Jesus, you've got to link it with what it's done in your life. How it changed your life. That's the most important thing. 